Thank you. Hey, my name is Matt. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I am uh, one of the pastors of New City Church, and I love coming out to the edge. Um, anybody live, uh, I guess, is would it be north of 435? 35's a mess, right? If you're not, thank Jesus today. If you could have seen my route that I took to church this morning, you guys would all think I am crazy. I'm telling you, like, I had to confess before I got up here today for my attitude, because I missed a turn. I live in Shawnee. I came up 35 South, but I had to get off at 87th Street to 69 South to 435, missed my turn, and went all the way back around to Lackman Road, back where I almost started. (laughs) Thank God I left early. Amen? Awesome. Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you in all seriousness, I'd love to shake your hand after service, uh, uh, because we are... uh, growing church, and um, I love what's going on out here. Um, We planted the Shawnee campus back in 2012, and you may not know this, but there's a lot of people who you've never met that gave sacrificially so that we could do something like this in a new place, and so that was a cool thing as a part of the story. This morning, I met a guy named Ward, and Ward was just kind of telling me how God has gotten a hold of his life. He said he hadn't been to church in 30 years, and he got invited by Miss Sherry Stearns back there came to church, and he said, when she invited me, I was like, oh, man, it's going to be a snooze fest, you know, and uh, Casey didn't put him to sleep, which is awesome, nor did Pete, and he's just talking about how God has changed his life, and I, I said, well, man, I'm telling you, I am so thankful, and so, like, some of you have stories like that, and I asked Ward, I'm like, Ward, if, if you would make a video and start it off like this, hey, my name's Ward, and you don't know me, but, and just kind of tell us, Shawnee, Edgerton, what you just shared with me, it's so powerful, right? Because I'll give to that, like my time and my efforts and even my resources that we work so hard for, I'll give to reaching guys like Ward. I think that's pretty cool. Amen. I wanted to start today uh, by reading the 23rd Psalm. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard this Psalm. It's uh, one of the most famous Psalms. It was written by a guy named David who would one day become king, but he wasn't David when he wrote this. Hey, Leilani, how are you today? Uh, He wasn't king when he wrote it. He was still a young dude being prepared for whatever God might call him um, to do. And so I thought it would be fun if we stood and read this together. And so would you guys do that with me? It's going to be on the screens. And I'm actually going to read it along with you. I think my version may be a little different. Here we go. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Well, if you you please be seated. If you have uh, this right here, this is the storybook. If you haven't purchased this yet and you have $9, I would encourage you to do so. And the reason being is if you've ever said, I try to read the Bible, but it's just too hard to understand, then this is going to help you a lot. Why? Because it's going to put the Bible in chronological order for you. Your Bible, my Bible, doesn't, it's not chronological order. And so sometimes you're going to get confused as snot when you read it, right? And also, here's another reason that it's so imperative is that, like, if I was to sit down with Mitchell, and I'm like, hey, tell me about your life. And he begins talking to me about where he was born, and, and he all, he's talking, all of a sudden he starts talking about his sister. I don't know if you have a sister, but he starts talking about his sister. 
And he starts talking about his Uncle Larry. I don't know if you have an Uncle Larry. But he starts talking about all these people. All of a sudden, I'm confused. Like, okay, who is... When we read the Bible, the same thing can happen. All of a sudden, you got this story going through about what God's doing. And all of a sudden, we start talking about Cousin Larry and Sister Carol. And the next thing you know, it comes back to the original story. And you're like, wait, I'm so confused what's going on. The, the story does a great job of just connecting the one seamless dot of what God has done. Now, we've, we're only, what's fun is we're only, I think, in chapter 11 today. And chapter 11 is going to start on page like 145, if you have it. And the title of this chapter is From Shepherd to King. Now, the other beautiful thing, and by the way, I don't get any money for selling the stories. I'm not on their payroll. Um, but the other beautiful thing about it is um, it's not a paraphrase of the Bible. Like, you're not getting, like, my, I'm going to dumb it down so you understand it. That's not what somebody's doing. It is the New International Version translation of the Bible. But what they do is they just keep the story going. Way back, we started with, in the garden with creation, and then we get to this place where God selects two, uh, two individuals, Abraham and Sarah, and he says, from you two, I'm going to create this whole nation. And that nation today is the nation of Israel. Jewish people, Hebrews, Israelites, they're all the same people. It started way back, way, way, way back with Abraham and Sarah. And here we are now to King David. King David is in this descendant. It's the, all of a sudden, last week, if you guys remember, uh, the people come to uh, Samuel, and they're frustrated at Samuel's children's behavior. Anybody have any whacked out kids? Don't raise your hand. All right. Uh, Samuel had some whacked out sons, and Samuel was like the president. And um, they said to Samuel, we like you. We don't like your kids. We're not following them, so give us a king. What hurt Samuel's feelings? He felt rejected. He went, right? Went and cried out to God. God said, hey, Samuel, they've been doing the same thing to me all, all along. So get over it. Listen to them, right? And so they get this king named Saul. And today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And um, I want to encourage you to read 1 Samuel because it is a beautiful story. We're not talking today about how Samuel anointed David with oil. Because and, and, uh, Saul makes God angry because he doesn't listen well. Like my son Luke, right? Doesn't listen well. And uh, God makes, uh, Saul makes God angry, and so God says, I'm choosing a new king. And so he sends Samuel to this house of Jesse, has this little tyke named David. He says, that's the one I want. Anoints little kid David's head with oil and says, you're going to be the next king. The hard part is, it's several, several, several years before David ever takes the throne. It's like somebody coming to you and saying, one day you're going to be the president of the world, but not yet, Right? You're going to be in charge of this company, but not yet. And you have to wait. And a lot of us in, in the room, if we're honest, we haven't yet achieved the thing that we think God's called us to do. This is a story about preparation. This is a story about what you do meanwhile. When I was a kid, I watched uh, Justice League, those kind of shows. Anybody else? Meanwhile, the, what's it called? The Hall of Justice? Nobody with me? Nobody had a TV here? Awesome. So anyway, let's just jump right in here. Back to the Bible. <laughs> so here's the deal. David's a little guy, he's back home, all of his brothers are at war, and uh, his dad says, take, take some supplies to your brothers, check on them, see how they're doing, and what David encounters is this battle. I've got a picture of where this battle took place. Uh, you can see right there, kind of in the middle left of the uh, paper, where, or the, the picture, where there's like an open field, and that's where it says, that is the battle site. So on one side, to the left, you have the Philistine army, and on the right side, you have the Israelite camp. If you can see that little square just to the up left of the Israelite camp, it says the brook of Elah. That is the proposed place where David is going to grab these five smooth stones that he's going to take into battle. And again, one side Philistines, one side this nation of Israel. And what you have to understand about the Philistine camp is they represent direct opposition to God. 
They, direct, they represent the direct opposite of what the nation, nation of Israel is for. They are clear, evil enemies. They're not two friends that had a disagreement. No, they are direct against each other in the ways of life and how we think and how we worship. And like They hate Israel, and Israel hates them. Right? And so this is what David comes upon. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. There was a champion named Goliath. A champion is this idea of a man or a leader, in this case it was a guy, who would come out and stand in the gap. That's what the champion means. He was a champion who would come and he would stand in the gap between the two armies and he was calling out the other side. If you're curious what the word champion means. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath, he came out of the Philistine camp. His side was six cubits in a span. All right. Now some translations will say he was four cubits in a span. Either way, he was tall. Six cubits in a span, it's roughly over nine feet tall. Four cubits in a span, it's roughly over seven feet tall. He was a big dude, right? Big, strong guy, a warrior from birth, we learn. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. This is what drives me crazy. I was commenting earlier. It's like nobody, like, I don't say I've got like two pounds of shekels in my pocket. Like, why? Like, they, they made this translation of the Bible easier to understand, but yet they keep weights and measures that nobody uses, right? So, like, if you're curious, like, what's 5,000 shekels? It's 220 pounds. Like, why couldn't somebody just write, hey, he, his armor was 220 pounds, but let's make it complicated and make us all feel dumb, right? Oh, I felt dumb when I read it. Anyway, maybe not you. Maybe you guys know what shekels are. I don't. Anyway, on his legs, so he weighed 220 pounds. Any, any adult male in here? I'm not going to pick on the ladies. Any adult male weigh over 200 pounds in the room? All right, what's your name? Hey, Tim. It's like if Tim, if you had to carry Tim all day long, Right? Like, if, if you were going to go about your day and, like, hey, Tim, jump on, let's go do this. <laughs> and you go back, no, that's what it'd be like. And Goliath was a strong dude, right? 220 pounds of armor. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point uh, weighed 600 shekels. Again, uh, let's all feel dumb together. That's 15 pounds. His shield, his shield bearer went ahead of him, and uh, Goliath stood, and he would shout to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of who? Read again. The servants of who? Do you guys see a problem there? Who should Israel be the servants of? Ooh, yeah, right, God. But see, their, their, their loyalty has been jacked up. And if I, I put the scripture in for you. If you go back to what we talked a little bit about last week, we see again that the people don't like Samuel's sons, and they come to Samuel and they say, we want a king. And he tells them all the things that a king is going to do to them. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. We want a king that uh, will rule or king over us. Then we will be like all other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And that's exactly what the people have now. Before, where maybe God would have gone before them and fought their battles, now the people have gotten just what they want. They have a coward at this point named Saul who's off in the ranks and won't come down and face Goliath because Goliath is big and bad and scary. And this Goliath comes out every day and he doesn't question their God, he questions their king. Because the people have divided their loyalty. Here's a word that I, there are a couple of words that I just try not to use anymore when I preach on Sundays. I don't, I don't use the words love and I don't use the words faith because those words mean nothing anymore. You love God like you love Taco Bell. Big deal, right? But when we talk about loyalty, like you can't be loyal to McDonald's and eat Burger King. You with me? You can't be loyal to Xbox and own a PlayStation. It just makes no sense, right? Like there is this idea of loyalty to God and at the the people were frustrated, and they got uh, frustrated at God, and so they said, hey, we want a king. You're no longer good enough for us, God. We want a king, and so that's what they got. Back to the, the main story. So Goliath says, are you not the servants of Saul? And he says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Which, by the way, was never going to happen either way. You know that, right? 
like, at the end of the story, it proves it. Like, I'll tell you what happens at the end. If you don't know, David kills Goliath. Maybe you've heard that theme in life, right? David kills Goliath, and the Philistines don't go, all right, we made a deal. No, they all run, and they fight as they ran. It was like this deal of him saying, my dad can beat up your dad, right? Or my mom can beat up your mom, which nobody says. But anyway, if you said. Anyway, and then he says this last part. I think this is really key. And this is what Richard Hull says that he thought was a fun learning for the day. Some of you may not know this. It says, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 40 days. That number 40 is a time of preparation. Every time you see the, term, the number 40 in Scripture, it is a time of waiting to prepare for something. How many days was Noah in the ark? 40, right? Uh, how many years did the Israelites wander in the desert? How many days did Jesus fast and pray and was tempted? 40. Yeah, it's a time of preparation. Same thing is happening here. There is something that's about to be prepared for. There is something going on. And in my opinion, it would be, it's this journey that this little guy David's making to the battle lines. When this story takes place, David's no longer a little kid. He's a little bit older. He's 15 years old. Isn't that crazy? 15-year-old kid. Not a 30-year-old, 35-year-old, 40-year-old man who's got some experience behind him. He's a 15-year-old kid uh, who has been uh, caught up in this crazy battle. 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, and I guess I have right above that if you love filling in blanks, you have to ask yourself this question. When it comes to your loyalty, are you a servant of Saul or are you a servant of God? That's a really important question, by the way, guys. Another way we would phrase that often here is, is Jesus Lord, is Jesus boss, or is something else boss of your life? Not do you love Jesus, eh, don't like that question. Not do you have faith, eh, don't like that question. Is Jesus the boss of your life? Is he your God? Or is he, oh, no, no, I believe in him. He died for me and he resurrected. Well, I didn't ask you that. Churches are full of people. You know this, right? Churches are full of men and women just like you who believe in a Jesus who, was, who died on the cross and resurrected from the grave and have absolutely zero say in their everyday life. Did you catch that? I mean, don't let that go over your head. Churches are full this morning who profess in Jesus and a guy who resurrected from the grave that has absolutely no say on what you do with your money, what you do with your time, what you do with your attitude, what you do with your forgiveness. Oh, no, but I believe he died. Well, good. Yay. You want a cookie? Anyway, moving on. I can be a little snarky sometimes. I apologize. I have twin six-year-old girls and a four-year-old son. I'm, I'm done. All right, here we go. So David uh, gets called to the battle lines, uh, taking some stuff to his brothers. He, he has all older brothers. And uh, when he gets there, he, he begins to hear that there is rewards for the guy who takes out this, this giant who's making fun of Israel. And so uh, it says, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? Why? Like, what's your motivation, buddy? Right? And he says, and with whom did you leave those few sheep? Not only is he questioning his motivation, now he's questioning David's responsibility. You ever have anybody that does that to you? They question your heart behind why you did that, and then they take shots at what you're responsible for. Oh, well, you just have that little business. Oh, well, you just have that little responsibility. Oh, you just have one kid, right? And they just take shots at what you do all day long because of their insecurities. Now, why was his brother like that? Well, think back on it. David was the youngest. He was the oldest. And when Samuel, way back, goes to Jesse's house, their dad, and says, I'm looking for the next king. This is where God's told me the first person he sees is big brother Elib. And he goes, he must be the one. And he lived, right? He's all puffed up. And God says, Samuel, no, he's not the one. And we have this awesome dialogue that God says to Samuel. Don't pick the king the way that the world picks the king. The world looks at the, the stature and the appearance and all the talents and abilities. But I look at the what? The heart. Man, we can all get prettied up, right? 
We can. I could even, if I wanted to spend the money, I could even grow hair. I could. I could do those things. I can suck in, right? I can wear one of those compression, compression shirts that makes my gut even more sucked in, right? But you know what? You can't disguise this. Now, you can't see it, but see, God can. And you might look at me and go, oh, Matt, you're so cool. And if you say that, you've got problems, by the way, right? No one's ever accused me of being cool or like the style setter. So I'm sorry for you if you're like, man, I've got to get that shirt. Anyway, it doesn't matter. God looks past those things, and he looks right at the heart of the individual. And so Samuel walks in this day, and he sees all these cool brothers, and they're tall, and they're handsome like Saul. And God says, no, not them, man. It's, it's the one that I'm looking for, the heart issue, man. Again, it's preparation. Now, right away, when I talk about big brother, and I talk about motives, automatically, everybody in the room naturally says, well, I'm David. Because we all have people that question your motives, Right? You have friends, you have parents, you have uh, employers, you have employees, peers at work that question your motives, call you a brown noser, call you uh, a suck up to the boss, like you're, the, you're, the, you're that one, you're that guy, you're that girl that does those kind of things. Oh, I know why you do that. We're always David, but here's the question I have to you. Some of us are also the older brothers. Whose motives are you questioning? Who, whose responsibility are you taking a shot at because of somewhere down inside, I'm, I'm speaking to me on this, our own insecurities. Because they do something that we don't... Like, why don't I have the courage for this big brother? Why am I not asking how to fight Goliath? How, you know, he just begins taking shots, right? Who in our life, because life hasn't turned out the way that we hoped it would, or we haven't had the courage to do certain things, that instead of encouraging and lifting up the little guy, we try to beat him down and we try to... Isn't it more fun when we're David? It's not as much fun when we're big brother, amen? I don't know. Who is questioning your motives and whose motives are you questioning? But David learns, hey, this is what it's going to take and to get the daughter of Saul, of King Saul, and to get all this money and to bless his family. But word gets back to King Saul that there was this guy named David asking about this. Now, he hasn't seen David. He has no idea who David is, but he calls for David. And in walks this 15-year-old kid, right? And basically Saul says, dude, you can't do this. And this is David's response. But David said to Saul, this is chapter 17, verse 34. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear come and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Has anybody in here ever fought a bear or a lion? Is that not just a little crazy to begin with, right? Like, I don't like snakes and mice. So anyway, um, it's serious. Get this. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, right? Get this. Back up. He says, when it turned on me, talking about the lion or the bear, when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. David is mean, right? Like, don't mess with him. He says, your servant has killed both the lion excuse me, both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, the reason he says that, is this Philistine doesn't have the mark that signifies him as the person who belongs to the nation of Israel. When God caught Abraham, one of the signs was every male is going to be circumcised. If you don't know what that means, Google it. Great pictures, right? But he's going to be circumcised, and this is going to be the mark for which you are identified. You're identified as a follower of God. This is what you, if you don't have the mark, you're not in the club. It's that simple. But God, I love you. It doesn't matter. If you don't have the mark, you're not in the club. Well, and that's why David's saying, this is a dude who hasn't been circumcised. He's not in our club, right? Just kind of interesting to know. Um, he says, kill both. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like, uh, like one of them because, right? This is key, because. Why is David so confident that he can take out this great big giant at the age of 15? Because he has defied the armies of the living God. Notice here how David's not talking about the armies of the living Saul. 
See how David's perspective is different? How David's loyalty? Now listen, he calls, he calls a reference to Saul. He says, hey, I'm your servant. Like there's no question of authority. Like you're the king, I'm not the king. Even though I've been anointed as the king, you're still the king. You're, I, dude, I follow you. But he, I'm not going to go out there and fight that guy because of the living Saul. I'm not going to go out there and do, I'm not going to live my life because of the way the world thinks I should live it. Even the best of the people in the world. I'm going to go out there and do this because this guy, this man has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And when I read that, I'm like, what? Like the 15-year-old speech couldn't have been that good, Saul. I mean, think about it. Like, you're the king, and this, like, this is for your, your family. And this 15-year-old comes in, I can do it. It's like, you know, it's just crazy to me. And he goes, go ahead, go for it, buddy. Has Saul lost his mind? I mean, what? Like, I had to talk my dad into letting me mow the yard right, when I was around that age. And it took me forever to get the keys to his junky old pickup truck. But meanwhile, King Saul is going to say, go defend our honor. I don't know. To me, it's crazy. Here's the question that I have for you. The spiritual one is this. How has God been preparing you to face your Goliath? I mean, when Saul told David that he couldn't do it, David talked about experience happening out on the pasture, right? Now, here's what comes to my mind when I think about this. It's like, I can remember back when um, I wished I could hit a golf ball like Tiger Woods. Now I can. <laughs> These things. Anyway, so um, I, I remember when I wished I could. And, and pick it, like Bo Jackson. I love Bo Jackson, right? Um, pick an athlete. I wished, like, I remember thinking, hey, I wish. And people would talk about, hey, this great athlete. And, man, I wish I had their ability, right? But here's the deal. How many golf balls has Tiger Woods hit before he was ever the Tiger Woods? How many, how many shots, free throws, did Jordan shoot? Did LeBron shoot? How many swings did such and such person take? And all we see is the hero. All we see is the sling, or the rock-slinging guy, David, hitting Goliath in the head. And we forget the fact that he was hours upon hours upon hours upon days and months and years out alone in the pasture with just him and some sheep, bored out of his mind, writing poetry and throwing rocks. That's what he was doing all day, every day. That was his job. And you think he hit the bullseye first swing, first sling? No way, not at all. But he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced. And man, he got pretty good. And he went beyond pretty good. He got to where he could hit anything. And his riding got better, and his singing got better, and his slinging got better. And what nobody saw, and what nobody talks about, and what nobody knew what was going on, David was preparing, I mean, God was preparing David for something very significant. And I, I've got to put this in here for you, because this is where a lot of us struggle. God never allows one to practice in the main event. God, God will not, listen, I'm not saying that you won't get an opportunity to do something, but like your dream, like that business, or that family, or that opportunity, like if you're waiting and just saying, well, I'm just going to show, no, listen, no one gets to practice. In the main event, God doesn't allow, that's not how the kingdom of God works. Find me a man or a woman in scripture and I will find you somebody that God has been training. Pick out your favorite biblical character and we can trace his or her steps of a life of being trained and failing and struggling and heartache and brokenness. Like there's no, like it's the theme of the story. God looks for the underdog, the least of these, the person whose heart is pure, not the one that's shiny and perfect and brilliant. Charlie Blair, one of our elders, we were talking about this this past week, 
And he said, you, are you curious about maybe why God never does shine the most beautiful, perfect thing to accomplish his will? Like, uh, it's like a trick question. I don't know what to say, right? I hate those kind of questions. And Charlie said, well, what was the last beautiful thing that he made? The, the, most, the most beautiful thing God ever made. Do you know? The scriptures say that it was Satan. Did you know that? The light, the beautiful one. And the thing that was the most beautiful and had the most esteem and kind of brilliance about him was the one who rejected God and swayed others to do the same. God has this theme where he likes taking everyday normal people, those who have a rocky past and a broken story, to do something really awesome. Now here's the problem. You can't skip the preparation. You can't skip it. You, talk, you heard me talk about 40 days earlier, right? If you read the book of Mark, it says this about Jesus. That Jesus came from Galilee, and he went and he was baptized. So stay with me, all right? Jesus, think of our transferable principles. We come out of something into salvation. The next thing Jesus did was he was baptized. Notice you can't skip this. Let's do what Jesus did. He was baptized. Then it says, as he was coming up out of the water, the Spirit fell on him, received the Spirit. The fourth thing is, out of that, the word from the, the Father's voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I love and take great delight in. And the fifth thing that he did was it says immediately afterwards he went to the desert for a time of preparation. Again, 40 days. Here's what we often do. We get saved, we get wet, we go right to work. That's not what the Scriptures teach. There has to be a time of preparation where God prepares you for what he has called you to do. And the reason that you're, what you're doing is maybe is so frustrating is because you've tried to skip the preparation and go right to the Word. Man, David was prepared. Nobody gets to practice in the main event. 1 Samuel 17. David says, or King, King Saul says to David, go. And it says, then, he, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor uh, on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. He tried walking around. He couldn't walk around. I heard someone say this past week, a Curtis, a worship pastor in Shawnee, he said, I wonder if uh, Saul put David in his armor so that the people would think it was Saul going out to fight. Well, that's an interesting thought. But he wasn't comfortable in these things. And so he says to Saul, Saul, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them. I love this. So he took them off. He didn't keep them on. See, the, the, I think a good this little thought process here is this. Whose armor will you wear, Saul or God's? And you have to take off one to wear the other. A lot of us, listen, we are in a midst of struggle right now. And I'm not talking about a great battle, but there's family issues, there's work issues, there's relationship issues, there's money woes, there's all kinds of things in your life. And if you're not careful, you will try to go to battle against those very thoughts, those attitudes, those practices, just the way the world does. And you will put on Saul's armor. And can I tell you something? It's just not going to fit you right. And if you continue to try to wear it and to do life the world's way, you're going to be clunking around making a fool of yourself. David didn't change his plan. He leaned on what God had taught him many, many, many times out in the pastures with the sheep. He, he, he put on the full armor of God. And I love this. It says, and he took it off. I can't do this. I can't be like you. I can't be like them. I've got to be who God's called me to be. Stick with me. Here we go. So David takes it all off. He picks up five smooth stones, and he goes out to the battle line. It says, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord our God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. I love this. He's, what he's saying is this. Like, buddy, this is not about to be a fair fight. Now, from the world's perspective, here's what you see. You see a big, tall giant with all this armor on, and you see this little 15-year-old kid. Anybody's perspective is this little 15-year-old kid is about to get squashed. 
But the difference is, is the giant is talking bad about this little 15-year-old kid's God. And this little 15-year-old kid's like, I'm not going to fight you a way that you want me to fight you. I'm not going to come at you the same way. I'm going to come at you the way that God has trained me to come at you. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I love that part. Not only am I going to take you out, buddy, I'm going to cut off your head. You're going to be my trophy. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Check this out. For the battle is the Lord's. Look at your neighbor. Look at the person sitting beside you. Say, it ain't your fight. Okay, you got two of them. Turn to the other one. Say, it ain't your fight. I'm telling you, you want to know what's wrong? A wrong symptom of the American church is we're fighting like them. I'm telling you, we have to, we have to use a different strategy. The battle belongs to the Lord. Man, I'm telling you, I'll get that tattooed on your forehead backwards so that when you look in the mirror, you can read it plainly, right? The battle belongs to the Lord. Why in the world are you fighting so hard for your way? Why are you posting so much on social media? Why, why does your tactic look so much like them? Listen, the battle belongs to the Lord. If you want to read a terrific book on this, this book kept me from getting fired back in 2009. Saved my job. I was in South Florida, large church, about church about 12,000 people. And I was fed up. I was done, man. And a friend of mine, I went into his office one day. Now, I could play the game right. Like, I wasn't going to cause any division. I'm like you. Like, you ever get mad at work? Right? I know. I don't want to. I'm going to be good boy. I'm going to follow a line. But if I got around the right people who I knew and trusted, I was venomous. I was bad. And my friend, thank God for this man, his name's Scott. He gave me a book called A Tale of Three Kings. It's this big. You can read it in an hour and a half. Actually, I read it during when my, my girls were just twins, maybe about Manna's age. And I was holding them both, feeding them, and read this book at one feeding. It grabbed me that much. It was an awesome book. A Tale of Three Kings. It'll change your life. The battle belongs to the Lord. Somebody throws a spear at you, what do you do? You pick it up and you throw it back. Somebody makes a bad comment to, towards you, what do you do? You, you spew one right back at them, right? Someone takes a shot at you, you take one right back. And as long as that attitude continues, the battle rages on. But when you say, you know what, the battle belongs to the Lord, you know what you got to become? you got to become a spear dodger and a spear breaker. I'm going to dodge your assaults. I'm going to dodge your hurts and your accusations. And I'm going to break the spear. Because you know why? You can't throw a broken spear. Or at least you can't throw it very far. The battle belongs to the Lord. And when the church wakes up and says, wow, maybe we should quit acting like them and more like him, I think we'll make a greater difference in our city, in our world. In my opinion. By the way, it's right. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Lastly, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. Now some people say, well, why did David grab five stones if he only needed one? Well, there's the theory that David had four brothers. I mean, Goliath had four brothers. He was ready to go. The stone sank into the forehead, of the, and he fell face down on the ground. Goliath did. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it out of its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. Why would David cut off the head of Goliath? Now, I want to talk to you. I'm going to connect the dots from Goliath to Jesus, to David to Jesus. Are you ready for this? This is so cool. You can't make this stuff up. But you got to stay with me, all right? You go way back to the beginning of the story. You have Abraham and Sarah, who I've mentioned. 
And at a certain point, they're childless, and God says, I want a child. I'm going to bless you and into a great nation. And, and Abraham looks at, his, looks at his wrinkled old wife, and she looks at wrinkled old Abraham, and he says, how's this going to happen? A bag hasn't been invented yet. And um, they were really old, really, really old. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. That son's name was Isaac. And there was a particular day when God told Abraham to take Isaac up to a particular hill. And on that hill, I want you to, or a mountain, I want you to sacrifice your son. Right? That hill would become Calvary. This is crazy. And of course, I, Abraham, if you don't know the story, Abraham didn't kill Isaac. God rescued Isaac just at the last minute. But this famous hill would one day become the very same hill where a cross would be placed. And Jesus, thousands of years later, God would ask the same thing. That, that this time, he would sacrifice his own son for you and I. And never let anyone tell you that someone murdered Jesus. Nobody murdered Jesus. He gave up his life, and he stretched out his hands, and he hung on a tree right on the hill of Calgary. So you have Abraham to Jesus on Calvary. But what about in the middle? Well, it says here that David took the, the head and brought it to Jerusalem. Well, what's interesting about that is at that time when that, like when you read that, you might just think, oh, it's parallel. It's just like time, timeline. The next thing happened. That, this is kind of in the future. See, they don't have Jerusalem yet. Jerusalem is still something that has yet to be a, a, a conquered. And David will eventually become king, and they will take over Jerusalem, and he'll make Jerusalem the center point, the focal point of the nation of Israel. Still is today, by the way. And there will be that hill, Calgary. Now, Calgary has another name. Anybody want to know what the name is? Galgotha. That's a fun word to say, right? Galgotha. So Calvary and Galgotha, same hill. And you know what Galgotha means? It means place of the skull. Place of the skull. Not place of the skulls, but place of the skull. The idea is this, is that when David comes in Jerusalem, he purchases this hill, this very same hill that Abraham, Father Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, which was the father of the entire nation. And here David is, is a part of that family lineage. He is the king. And so I'm going to purchase this hill, and on this hill I'm going to build the temple. But on that hill, David buries something. He buries that skull of Goliath. This is so cool because the Philistines were the exact epitome of evil for Israel, amen? And Goliath was a giant. But on Calvary, I want you to catch this, church, that on the cross, Jesus stood on top and conquered over the Goliath, sin and death. And you're like, well, how did Jesus fight sin and death? Surely he was a slugfest, right? He went Ronda Rousey on him. Not at all. Because the battle belonged to the Lord. I'm telling you, when Jesus breathed his last breath, sin and death, they're not just things, they're principalities. When Jesus breathed his last breath, sin and death through a party. Woo, we've won! We got him this time, boys! I'm telling you, the disciples cried. Mary cried. People fled. The Pharisees rejoiced. And Satan himself threw a party. But see, this Jesus didn't know sin or death anything because unlike you and I, he was perfect. And so when he died on that cross and sin rejoiced, Three days later, he's able to come back to life. Why? Because he's better than? Absolutely. He didn't owe death anything. See, we, we die because of sin. Because of sin, it is appointed that every person, man, man or woman, will, will like 10 out of 10 people die. It's going to happen to you. But Jesus, on the third day, man, his lungs begin to take in air. Like he wasn't in a coma. The man died. And he stood, man, he stood out of that empty tomb as a conqueror of not just this seven-foot or nine-foot Goliath, but of the sin and death that each and every one of us... Here's the deal. The battle belongs to the Lord. And He's fought it, and, he, and, he, and, he's, and He's victory. He's fought the good fight. 
it was never fair. All other religions will ask you to sacrifice things. What does the great Christian faith say? That God sacrifices Himself for you and I. And He says, all you got to do in return is to accept that gift. Why are you fighting like them when you can trust in Him? I don't know where your loyalty lies this morning, church. I don't know very many of you very well. I haven't done life with you. But I'm telling you something. Jesus demands your loyalty. And if you think, let me go real old school evangelist on you real quick. If you think you're going to skirt by this spiritual life by double allegiances, you think you can be loyal to God on Sunday and live like hell on Monday through Saturday, you are out of your mind. It is time we grow up past I love and I'm faithful and I like Jesus to the man and the woman, to the young person who says, I will be loyal to him even when it's hard. That is the call of the Christian faith. We, I am so tired of phony balonies. I'm so tired of Facebook Christians. I'm so tired of the duggards of the world. Where are the men and women who are simply going to say, and does that mean you've got to be perfect? Oh my gosh, if it's perfection, I need to quit right now. But my feet are pointed in the direction of Jesus. These guys are going to do a song. During this song, if you want to come up here and get on your knees in an act of surrender and reminding God who you're loyal to, then I invite you to do that. I believe, even believe there's water in the baptism. If you're like, man, I really believe Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm loyal to Jesus, but I've never done the first thing he asked me to do and be baptized. Well, what in the world are you waiting for? If you're not doing it because somebody doesn't want you to, come on. Follow the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus, and he will direct your paths. Amen? Yes, stand with me. Let's worship. Let's pray. Let's remind our, refocus our loyalty to the Lord this morning. Amen.